Welcome, podcast listeners. We have a fantastic episode for you today. Last year, when we published The Best Investment Writing, Volume 2, we offered authors the opportunity to record an audio version of their chapter to be released as a segment of the podcast. And listeners loved it. This year, we're bringing you the entire volume of The Best Investment Writing, Volume 3, in podcast format. You'll hear from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers all over the world. Enough from me. Let's get to our guests and let them take over this special episode. Hi, this is Wes Gray, and I am the CEO of Alpha Architect, a firm with a mission and passion to empower investors through education in order to develop sustainable investors. Our business focus is on delivering what we call focus factor. You can always learn more about us at alphaarchitect.com. We always share materials, generally educational in nature, where you can learn about financial markets and quantitative finance in general. Today, I'm gonna read a piece entitled, Factor Investing Fact Check, Are Value and Momentum Dead? Why did we write this post just for some quick background. Well, as many listeners will probably be aware, a lot of factors really haven't delivered much in the form of excess returns over standard market cap benchmarks, like for example, the S&P 500. So that's really the context and the why of this post. And so without further ado, let's dig in. So the stock market, at least as measured via the S&P 500, has had an epic performance run especially relative to almost all other asset classes. It really doesn't matter whether you look at the other asset classes by geography, for example, US, developed or emerging, or style, value, momentum, quality, what have you, or type, stocks, bonds, or commodities. One thing is perfectly clear. The S&P 500 is king. And the S&P 500 is essentially a mega cap beta fund with U.S. factor exposure. So below is a chart, which I'll explain on this podcast, of what one calls the IV5, which is a concept popularized by Meb Faber and uh, Eric Richardson. And it's a simple way to view asset classes. And what it does is it consists of U.S. stocks, as measured by the S&P 500, international stocks, as measured by the MSCI EFI total return index. Real estate is uh, measured by the FTSE All REIT index. Commodities, which is proxied by via the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index. And then finally, bonds re- reflect a 10-year treasury bond. So kind of five big muscle movements that capture a lot of the global risk premiums that are available to most investors out there without incurring too much brain damage and trying to access a particular exposure. And so if we look at the five years, and again, these are all ending Q3 2018. If we added the last year or so here, uh, basically same story would be told, is the compound annualized return for the S&P is nearly 14%, which is obviously an excellent return. For international securities, as measured by the EFI index, it's around 4.4%, so almost a third of the S&P. REITs are around 10%, so about two-thirds of the S&P. Commodities is represented by the GSCI index, down negative 10% a year annualized, so 
pretty horrific. And then bonds up around 1% a year on a total return basis over the past five years. Clearly, diversification was the loser's game and investing all in on the S&P 500 obviously would have been your best bet. Now, what's interesting is the incredible recent performance of the S&P 500, especially relative to so-called active strategies, has caused many market commentators to make claims that reflect partial truths. And here's some just examples. One is factors are dead, value is dead, momentum is dead, active investing is dead. Apparently it's a graveyard of myths, but everything seems to be dead unless you were owning mega cap US stocks. And of course, the problem with all of these statements is that the S&P 500, which again is from a factor exposure is basically just a mega cap US stock index has beaten essentially every investment style in every investment class on the planet Earth the past five years. And for the most part, the last 10 years. So clearly this is the king. And so while a lot of these statements about things being dead are correct on the surface, the implications are misleading. So in, in this talk, what I'm talking about is by analyzing the past five-year performance metrics of these common factor strategies that are out there that everyone claims to be dead, we're going to identify the following four facts. One, the SP500 gives you mega cap beta exposure. Two, mega cap stocks in general were the way to go over the last five years. So market cap weighted looked great relative to any other weighting scheme, particular equal weight portfolios or fundamental weights or what have you. Momentum, which is just using, we're just going to look at the common academic cross-sectional momentum or 212 momentum. It's actually worked in certain circumstances. So there's no indication that momentum should be abandoned. And then value, where we're just going to look at the generic kind of high book to market cheap stocks certainly look dead in large caps but hope does exist for smaller stock and the implication is that investors with large mega cap focused value exposures may want to consider a change one because in recent memory mega cap value stocks as measured by book to market haven't worked and frankly over the past hundred years where we can get data on it they've never really worked so why people were doing mega cap value in the first place doesn't make any sense, but we'll dig into it a little bit more as we go through this. If we consider that the SP 500 is simply a fund that gives you mega cap exposure and not some magical pixie dust from the investment gods, then the S&P 500's recent relative performance is not surprising. Why do I make that statement? Well, to, to examine a little bit deeper, we can actually look at the performance metrics across increasingly small cap exposed portfolios over the past five years, where the S&P 500 would have the lowest exposure to the small cap factor. And clearly, if we bought the 10% smallest firms or the small decile, it would have the most exposure to the so-called size factor. And in particular, what we'll look at to just move away from factor geek speak is we'll just compare the S&P 500 to the S&P 500 equal weight, where equal weight is going to be tend to be more focused on smaller 
stocks because market cap weight puts more weight in the biggest equal weight obviously puts the same amount of weight in both the biggest and the smallest but the s p 500 equal weight index still has the biggest 500 so we're clearly not dealing with small caps but definitely smaller than the s p 500 and then we have the russell 2000 which is you know if you have the top 3,000 securities rank them on market cap. It's essentially the bottom 2,000. So certainly smaller caps there. And then finally, we will get a little bit geeky here, but we'll just look at the small decile of stocks from Ken French's website. This portfolio is constructed by taking the whole universe of securities, sorting them into 10% buckets from biggest stocks to smallest stocks and we're going to look at that bucket of the 10 percent smallest so for all intents and purposes this would almost be the small micro cap bucket and what do the last five year returns suggest about these four different investment styles well again s p 500 the king 14 percent compounded annually not bad now the s p 500 equal weight which again gives a nod to a little bit smaller it compounded at 12 and a half not bad but certainly a lot less than 14 and as we keep moving down the chain russell 2000 compounded at 11. so far cry from 14 and definitely less than 12 and a half of the s p 500 equal weight and if we keep going down the chain we look at this small decile kind of micro cap portfolio it's down at 8.44 percent almost well, not half, but almost half of the S&P 500. What's the point? The point is systematically owning big stocks was a much better bet than owning smaller stocks across the board. Any strategy that placed generic bets on non-mega cap stocks took it on the chin relative to the S&P 500. To summarize, if you're not in mega caps, you underperformed regardless of what else you had baked in your cake. And so that takes us to our last question here. So are we in a new world where kind of growth and mega cap beta have killed all the factors and, and nothing else is going to work? Or maybe we just in an in-sample situation where premium that usually doesn't pay off that great, i.e. the mega cap funds, maybe had a good run. One thing I want to do before you know, addressing that is we also want to look at the interaction between size and the factors. Because we know that size is just in general underperform, but it'd be interesting to know how that interaction works with value and momentum and the other kind of classic uh, factors out there. Good place to start here is, is Lu Zhang and his colleagues actually have a recent paper called Replicating Anomalies. And they highlight specifically that it's important that one controls for size when reviewing various factor anomalies because size and the factors, those performance, tend to be commingled. So in, really, in order to really make a statement about a factor, we need to control for size because as we just discussed, sometimes just by buying small stuff, you're going to look like an idiot. But does that necessarily mean that value is dead? Or does it maybe just mean that value stocks tend to be smaller and it was the size component driving underperformance, not necessarily the value performance? Um, so we, we really got to kind of dissect this. Kind of what Lu Zhang and, and colleagues' point was is that factors act very differently 
outside of the mega cap stock universe. And even though we've covered this before, over the last five years, we know big stuff has crushed about everything. So instead of breaking down our investment universe by just size alone, which we just discussed you know, ahead of this, we're now gonna analyze the investment universe by large value and large momentum relative to the S&P. So at least now we're kind of controlling for size and just saying, hey, assuming we're only investing in mega caps, how do the factors look for value and momentum and then just generic beta? Because now maybe we can make a statement about the factors. So, and if we do that, you know, we can generate this data again using Ken French's website where we're just going to use, again, generic, large value and growth. Those are just going to be the biggest security portfolios split on those that are the cheapest on book to market and the most expensive on book to market, which will reflect value and growth respectively. And then for the large momentum portfolios, the, the winner and the loser portfolio, again, using Ken French's data, we're gonna go look at the momentum portfolios sorted on size, and we're gonna only look at the large size bucket. And then we're gonna specifically examine the large high momentum portfolio and the large cap low momentum portfolio and plot all these returns out. And so when we do that, what do we see? Well, again, the benchmark here, the SP 500 was around 14%. And what's interesting is if we first look at the value factor, again, holding consistent size, because we're only looking at big stocks here, large value was around 10% compounded. So definitely less than 14, but large growth or glamour or the most expensive stocks were actually 18%. So they actually crushed the S&P 500. So in, in some sense, obviously the value premium was negative controlling for size, not a great outcome. So value certainly looks dead, at least on this baseline analysis, but now we can shift over to momentum. So if we take all the largest stocks and then we sort them on those that have high momentum and low momentum, and, and we'll call the high momentum ones the large winners and the low momentum ones the large losers, well, the big mega cap momentum securities actually earn around 16%. So a little bit less than the, the mega cap growth, but definitely better than the market. Whereas the large loser stocks or these negative momentum securities, they came in around 8%. So almost half of the S&P. So momentum actually worked. So momentum as a factor, you know, controlling for size, you know, chalked up a win. Uh, value as a factor, uh, controlling for size, definitely chalked up a loss the last five years. Large cap growth and momentum have been a killer combo. And so market commentators are correct if they say that large cap value has really stunk it up, at least based on price to book type measures, which is very common out there as value. And you know what? Maybe this isn't too surprising because large cap value has never really been a compelling factor when assessed in different markets and different time periods. In fact, if you include a mega cap, large cap value exposure in a portfolio, it's arguably a bad idea when considering the transaction costs, the tax drag, and the added complexity. It doesn't really add a lot of value relative to just the good old fashioned, you know, mega cap market cap indices, but it does add a layer 
of additional costs because you got to try to capture this whole factor thing. And if we look in general, to reiterate that point, so what are just the general statistics over the long haul and how do they compare versus what they've done over the last five years? So for some context, what are kind of the base rates on these mega cap value and momentum type factors? Well, if you look at large value, it's around over the whole time period, it's around 11.8%. So a little bit better than the market, but the last five years, again, it's been around 10, which is a lot less than the market. So not too far off uh, within the bounds. Large cap growth, or basically big stuff that's the most expensive, over the long haul is actually generally a bad bet. And it's actually had a great run over the last five years, earning 18% relative to 14% in the S&P. So clearly, buying expensive stuff was, was actually a good idea this go around. But in general, it's a bad idea. If we look at large momentum stocks, large momentum stocks overall generally tend to beat the market. I have a measure around 13.5% here since uh, 1963 versus the markets around 10. So definitely a big winner. And then in sample, it's also been a big winner, 16% versus 14. So momentum certainly seems to be alive and well. Similarly, if you look at like big cap losers or low momentum securities, they were really bad in the most recent period, you know, 8% compound versus 14. But historically, they're around 4% versus 10. So they're always bad. And in recent memory, they've actually just they actually been a little bit better than they typically are. But you want to definitely avoid low momentum securities, even amongst, you know, the mega caps out. So over long haul, mega cap value has beaten growth by a bit and mega cap momentum or winners definitely beat losers by a lot. The momentum statement still holds. The value statement has obviously been reversed here the last five uh, years. That was a lot of analysis amongst the biggest securities out there. How are factors doing controlling for size? And the summary was momentum's working, values clearly not. Now what we can do is we can flip this argument down to the smaller cap names, where again, we can control for size. We're going to only look at small caps, which we know in general as a group have underperformed significantly relative to large caps. But then we can at least ascertain how the factors are doing in small cap land relative to just generic market cap indices. At the outset, we mentioned that the S&P 500 from a factor investing perspective is a mega cap beta fund. And you could argue it may have small growth momentum type tilts, but I think on average it's, it's just beta and it's just mega caps. We also know that mega caps crush the competition regardless of what factor you did or, or what have you. If you were big, you won. If you were small, you lost is kind of the summary. And so if you had growth or momentum exposures on top of mega cap exposures, you were the undeniable king of the most recent market memory, especially in the US uh, stock market specifically. So, but again, what if we decide to look into the non-mega cap factor world? So, and that's what we're gonna do next. So here, what we're gonna look at is the smallest securities across the board, except we're going to then split them by their value and momentum factor. So we're going to look at 
a small value portfolio and a small growth portfolio. What is that? Well, small is going to be the, the universe of securities in the bottom 20%. And then within those securities, we want to look for those that are the cheapest based on book to market and those that are the most expensive based on book to market. And we're going to call those value and growth respect. And then we'll do a similar exercise for momentum where we're going to sort on the past winners and the past losers amongst those stocks that are already small. And if you remember here, the benchmarks for this analysis are as follows. The S&P 500, which is kind of your mega cap benchmark, came in at around 14% compounded last five years. Not bad. The small decile, which is a benchmark for just generically buying small stuff, came in at around eight and a half, a little bit less than that. Much less than S&P and not bad. You know, 8% compounds, not terrible, but certainly a lot less than the mega caps. And so for this analysis, the benchmark is not really S&P. It's going to be this small decile portfolio at around 8.5%. So if we now look at value over this period, well, small value actually earned around 10%. So again, got crushed by the S&P, but relative to just generically buying small stuff, it actually did pretty good. 10 is a lot higher than eight and a half. But in contrast, if we look at small growth stocks or basically small expensive firms, they actually underperformed in line with their historical expectations. So they earned around 7.2% relative to that small decile portfolio around eight and a half. So in small caps, value is actually still very much alive and actually worked for all intents and purposes. But just relative to the S&P 500 or anything that it overexposes into large securities, it appears like value didn't work, but it does once one considers size. And so when we now look at momentum and conduct a similar analysis, well, momentum is also in line actually with its historical estimates where small momentum stocks came in at around 9.7% compounded versus 85 for the generic small cap you know, portfolio benchmark. So momentum work. And then in, again, as is in line with historical estimates, these small loser stocks or the low momentum stocks came in at a very terrible three and a half percent compounded versus eight and a half for the benchmark. So what's interesting here and slightly in contrast to the discussion in mega caps where value was dead, uh, momentum was very much alive, in small caps, you know, once we control for the fact that we're only playing around in smaller securities, both value and momentum worked. So they decidedly were not dead, which is interesting because it goes a lot against a lot of the arguments out there that everyone says that factors are dead. You know, so great, we've proved factors aren't dead and they probably work, but we just gotta be a little bit smarter about controlling for size exposure ensuring we know what we're looking at is an apples to apples comparison and not a apples to oranges. As a side note here, this is all about U.S. analysis. If one looks in international markets, I think it's also clear that factors aren't dead, especially when controlling for size because they've actually done okay out there. And because there's been less of a size effect relative to the U.S. markets, there's I think there's also been less confusion about the fact that factors are still working at the margin out there. So why do we go through all this analysis of, of trying to break buckets down by size 
And then within size, look at the factors and how they're doing. Well, again, we did that because it's important to consider size, especially in a market environment where just owning big stuff pretty much crushed any system that owns smaller stuff. And we will see that in the results because if you look at small value portfolios or small momentum portfolios and you compare them over the last five, 10 years relative to large growth or the S&P 500, well, you're going to look stupid. And that's not because the factors weren't working. We already just discussed that value and momentum actually worked fine in smaller caps. Like it helped you differ differentiate those that were good and bad relative to all other small caps, but they decidedly underperformed as a whole versus your large cap growth indices or your S&P 500. The final thing we can do just to, to reiterate this point that size has definitely mattered a lot and factors aren't really dead is we can look at value and momentum across the five different size buckets to see how they do on a relative basis when compared to the appropriate size benchmark. So for example, we can have super small micros, we can have schmid cap, mid cap, large cap, and mega cap, and we can control for the size groupings, but then within those size groupings, look at the performance of cheap versus expensive and look at the performance of winners versus losers. And so if we do that in the context of value to start, what we see is that pretty much across the board, obviously the smaller the portfolios, whether they were growth or value, they underperformed the S&P 500. And in general, value premium has been negative. So holding consistent size, growth portfolios generally stomped value portfolios, albeit at a much lower level than in the mega cap stocks. And the one area where that was different was what we discussed prior is in that small kind of micro cap world, there still did seem to be a premium out there. But certainly value looked dead even when controlling for size across most of the different size buckets that we can group securities into. Now, when we do that same analysis on momentum, where again, we're gonna take five categories of size, small, schmid cap, mid cap, kind of mid-large, and then your mega caps, uh, kind of breaking the universe up into five different size buckets. And then within each of those size buckets, we're gonna look at how high momentum did versus low momentum, or basically the winner stocks versus the loser stocks. Pretty much across the board, independent or of size, momentum worked. So momentum kept on ringing the register as it always has. Obviously, smaller focused strategies doing momentum underperformed anything that was owning S&P type securities. But within a different uh, particular size bucket, the momentum versions of the strategy definitely beat those that had low momentum. So momentum also worked, whereas value is a lit, little bit more shaky. So in conclusion, the intent of this piece is really just to give readers a more nuanced view of the common investment factors out there and how they have fared relative to the so-called market, which is often considered the S&P 500. And to make a long story short, everything in the world 
regardless if you're looking at factors or asset classes or geography, has looked poor relative to the S&P. And the S&P 500 has delivered exposure to mega cap beta, arguably with a growth tilt. And we know over the last five years that the best factors and the highest performing factors in the world are mega cap, US beta growth. So the S&P is being everything. However, once we control for different size exposures, and then we look at how factors have done within different size buckets, it seems to be the case that momentum is certainly not dead. Uh, it's worked across the board. And then value is kind of dead, but you do see some evidence that it has worked in micro small caps. And I think there's some evidence also you would see that if we did this analysis in international. On the other hand, to summarize, value might be dead, momentum certainly alive and well, but it's really important that when doing analysis on factors that one considers size in the analysis and we compare apples to apples as opposed to apples to oranges. Thank you for your time. Hopefully this was useful. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out direct and uh, or you can hit us up at our website at alphaarchitect.com. Yeah.